Amen? Amen. You know, I've noticed that when I ask Bill to pray for the offerings, um, he often says that we've been blessed so far. And uh, if we were to leave right now, and I always wonder if that means he doesn't want me to do anything else. I'm, I'm messing with Bill. Bill and I were in youth group together, so I love messing with him. But he says that a lot when he prays. We could go right now, Lord. You don't even have to let Stan do anything. So, Stan could go home right now. That'd be great. But while we're taking the offering, would y'all sing this little chorus with us? It's a testimony of those of us that know the Lord. If you know the Lord as your personal Savior today, would you just lift your hand and testify? Okay, wow, look at all those. Oh, Bible believing God, God love us. Here we go. So this little chorus just says, this is our testimony. If somebody asks you, what does it mean that you're a Christian? If you can't say anything else, you could say these words, okay? Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. And then you tell him this part. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. This means turn your volume up. Here we go. Jesus paid it all. Sing it to him. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Amen. Believe that with all my heart. All my heart. I'm excited today. We're starting a new series called Lion and Bear Stories. And uh, it's just a weird thing I came up with because I'm a weird person. And that those weird things come easy to weird people. I don't know if you know that, but they do. They come real easy to me. And uh, so I had this weird idea about lion and bear stories. Um, and then I started researching in the scriptures, um, trying to figure all that out. Um, but in David's life, how that happened. And I realized God's been teaching his people all through the scriptures to tell stories. That's the whole, a whole big deal. Um, there's this verse in the New Testament about the rocks crying out. Y'all remember that? Where, where it, it, Jesus literally says, hey, if y'all don't want to praise God, it's okay, we got these rocks, and they'll just do it. The rocks will cry out. So, and, and you look at that and you go, well, that's kind of crazy, but he had planned that all along for rocks to be able to testify of him. And I want to just show you a couple things. I'm going to tie some verses together this morning. I want to give you three biblical passages, and I'm going to be a little short because we've got some testimonies coming I know you're excited about that, Northside, and I'm going to be short. So, <clears throat> But first, I want to talk to you about the importance of stories. Um, God intends for you to tell stories, stories of His work in your life. He intends for you to do that on a regular basis. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, way back in the Old Testament, when God was trying to align His people, His chosen people, the Hebrew children, Israel, when He was trying to align them unto Himself, and get them to understand how they are to live their lives and guide them. And he was giving them the laws and all these uh, guidelines and instructions. In Deuteronomy, he gives some of the most important th uh, guidelines going into the reading of the law that you could give. Verse 4, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, that's the whole deal. God's saying, Israel, love me with everything. Everything. I taught it a few weeks ago uh, when we were going through our series. I taught on being all in. you got to get all in. 
and uh, not partway. And that's what this verse says. And verse 6 says, And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in the ways, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs as a sign on your hand, and then they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The text is actually commanding God's followers, His children, His chosen own, which all of you that raise your hand, that fits you. He's commanding you to testify of your love for Him openly, clearly. And, and God literally commands that you take these words that are on your heart. Look what it says in the text. Um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words I command you today shall be on your heart. What words? These words. Lord, I love you with all my heart. That's what words. I love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my might. I've told you many times at our church here, you know, when, when one day they you know, put me in the ground and put a box down there and put me in the ground, um, the thing I want most of all for my children to remember about me, for my family, for my friends to remember about me is he loved God with all himself. He didn't give part of himself to God. He loved God with everything. That's the most important deal. And, and so those words are supposed to be on our heart. God commands us to have those words on our heart. Lord, I love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. I'm just going to encourage you. We don't say that enough to the Lord out loud as as. His children, we don't speak that out loud enough. We don't. And we don't tell the Lord we love Him. Now, we may whisper it in a prayer now and then, and we may think it in our head and go, well, He knows what I'm thinking, right? But, you know, I'm married, and I know how that works with my spouse. She knows I love her, you know? I'm actually supposed to communicate. I don't know if you know this, guys, but we're supposed to communicate those words every once in a while, out loud, verbally. I love you, right? But, Lord, I love you with all my heart. Would you be willing to say it if you do it? Would you say it with me right now? Lord, I love you with all my heart. Those are the words that are supposed to be on our heart. And he's commanding us to teach that to the next generation. He says, I want you to teach your children diligently. What am I supposed to teach them? The words that are on my heart. Teach them that you, as a parent, as a friend of a generation beyond them, you love God with all your heart. Teach them that. Now, there's several ways to teach people things, right? You can give them instructions and write it down. You can give them a book with that information in it and have them read it and repeat it back to you. Or you could live it out in front of them. Which one's more effective? Live it out in front of them. What do you think God wants Israel to do? He wants people, His people, to live in front of the next generation in obedience to Him to say, I love you with all my heart. By the way, the way you love God, Jesus says it very clearly in the New Testament. If you love me, keep my commandments. Just obey the words. Change the things you need to change. If you're under conviction of sin, if there's something in your life that's not of God, change it. That's obedience and that's love. That says, God, when I woke up today, I wanted to tell you again, I love you with all my heart. By the way, if you make that part of your morning routine, Lord, I love you with all my heart. And part of your evening routine before you go to bed, Lord, before I close my eyes and rest on this pillow, I want you to know I love you with all my heart. It's doing exactly what this text says. It's making it a priority of your life. I love you with all my heart. And God says we should write them down and bind them as signs and put them all around our house. He says on your doorpost and gates. That's your house and your yard. 
Your house and your yard should give testimony that you love God with all your heart. People walk through your house, they should see pictures or paintings or, or dis displays of Scripture or something that says, hey, this person loves the Lord. I know when I was in Brandon's house and I saw the, uh, the, they've got a wall with crosses, I was like, yes, that's awesome. It just testifies. Everybody's Christian home should be a Christian home. It should have something in there that says, I love the Lord with all my heart. Now, I'll just tell you, my yard doesn't testify very well, and I don't know how to fix that because I can't get grass to grow and bushes grow too fast, and I'm a mess with that thing. So um, I'm trying to get my yard to be some sort of testimony. I'm just going to put a sign out front that says, I love God with all my heart and soul, and that, that'll work good for my yard. My, my next-door neighbor, by the way, Little Bellingraf. It's Little Bellingraf. I'm telling you that it's unbelievable what the Cochran's uh, daughter, Deborah, and his, her husband can do with that little same piece of yard that I have, I'm all red clay and, and white sand and dirt and just roots. And they're just little bellingraph. I'm like, good gracious, how does that work? So my yard needs help. But your house, is. But he actually says, make your house testify. He's wanting you to communicate to the generation to come his words, his ways, and his works. That's what God wants you to do, testify to the next generation. And it's supposed to be, by the way, not an intellectual testimony. It's not supposed to be a some, some sort of rehearsed thing that's kind of flat. It's supposed to be personal. It's on your heart. Lord, I love you with all my heart. I want my children to know. I want my grandchildren to know. I want my best friend to know. I love you with all my heart. I love you with all my heart. You're first in my life. That's what we're supposed to communicate. So there's this, this call that stories are important. We're supposed to transfer the stories of our faith life into the children that we serve and that we have. Now move to Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 4. Incredible passage in the book of Joshua. Um, Israel has come from uh, the bondage in Egypt. They've been set free from all that by a miracle work of God. You sang it, no longer slaves today. Perfect song to sing. No longer slaves. They've been set free from the slavery of Egypt. They've fought their way out of that. By the way, um, all those crazy, crazy things that happened to set them free. The Pharaoh, remember, he would, he would make them have to make bricks uh, faster and more bricks. When, when, when all this stuff would happen and Moses was challenging Pharaoh and God was messing with them and, and all that, then, then Pharaoh would get mad and he'd say, well, they got to make more bricks now. They got to work all through the night and they got to you know, they got to do it without the straw this time. I get their own straw. We're not taking straw to them. They make their own straw. Go get their own straw. Kind of. Remember how all that worked? That's kind of crazy how God caused all that stress in their life. What was that doing to those slave guys? Building up their muscles. Building up their strength. You know why? Because at some point, God was going to have Israel carry all of the gold in Egypt out with them out with them. And they're going to carry it, by the way, for 40 years through the wilderness. And they got to get some strength built up. They couldn't have done it as weak little slaves. So God muscles them up and then he sets them free and they cross the Red Sea in this amazing story. And they get into the wilderness and they, they make an 11-day journey last 40 years. And that's interesting. It only takes 11 days to walk from one place to the next. From where they left to where they needed to be, if you just could go there, it was 11 days took them 40 years. You know why? God needed to take 40 years. God needed that group of people to be weeded down and another generation to be brought up 
that would follow him and trust him because he saw in that group people that were not good followers, people that were not listening well, people that were not obedient. And so he began to do a work, a 40-year wandering where they, they, if you followed on a map, they crossed back over their cell. Many times I go, hey, isn't that our footsteps from before? There's only a million of us that walked through here. So, yeah, that would be our million footsteps that went through here just last month. You know, but they went back and forth around themselves. And, and God set them free into, into the uh, wilderness. But then he's going to move them into what's called Canaan land, the promised land, the land that he had promised them. It's occupied by the Canaanites. They're going to have to go in and conquer the Canaanites. By the way, when you're set free from all your sin and you're on your spiritual journey, don't think it just all of a sudden you're in heaven. You've got to conquer some things. You've got to, there's still battles to be fought. So here they are set free from their slavery on the journey, and now they're going to, they've got to cross this one other deal. It's called the Jordan River. And it's at flood stage when they get there. Timing was terrible. Yeah, God's timing was terrible. He, got, he brought them there at flood stage. and They're like, oh no, what are we going to do now? And Joshua's the new leader. And he just listens to God, just like Moses taught him. And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to have the priest hold it and walk into the river with it. And everywhere their feet go, it's going to dry up. That had to be amazing to watch. They literally took the Ark of the Covenant and they walked into the flooded Jordan River. It's up on the banks. It's washed out into the tree line. And they're walking and the water's just moving away. And then they stand in the very center of this giant river, giant river that was rushing madly a few seconds ago. And now it's all held up back there. And it's just dry. And there's rocks. And so here's what it says in Joshua 1. Joshua 4, verse 1. When all the nations had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, and from each tribe a man. Command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. Now here's what Joshua's saying. He goes, I want each of you to get some, a man, appoint a man from your tribe, some guy that's strong. <laughs> Go get the strong guy from your tribe. When he crosses over, because there's going to be about a million people have to walk over while these priests hold all this. When he crosses over, the strong guy, he's supposed to, for his tribe, pick up a stone, not a little rock, but a stone, put it on his shoulder and carry it out of that creek bottom, out of that river bottom. And, and then we, when we get to where we're going tonight, a place called Gilgal, when we get there, we're going to make a pile of those. And why are we going to do that? Well, he tells you. He says, uh, verse 4, Then Joshua called the twelve men. He appointed the man from each tribe. He said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord in the midst of the Jordan. Take up each of you a stone, put it on his shoulder according to the number of tribes, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean? Listen to what you're supposed to say. Tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off from before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones will be a memorial to the people, it says, forever. So here's Joshua and by the way, eight times, eight times in the early part of the book of Joshua, which is the early part of their spiritual journey into the promised land, like some of you that just come, have come to Christ recently in your early part of your faith journey, eight times he said, stop and build a pile of rocks as a memorial. Make something to remember this by. So when people ask, why is that there? You go, oh, you got to hear that story. You hear what he's saying? 
you want to be able to tell your children, there's a story that goes with the rocks. There's a story that goes with the rocks. Now, these were literal stones from the bottom of the Jordan River, which is, by the way, impossible to get to in that day. You couldn't swim to the bottom of this fast-flowing river and pick up this stone and take it out. I mean, it had just been an unbelievable task. But God stopped the river, so these stones were very special stones. You know, they're obviously very smooth from being in the bottom of the river and, and all the rushing water that's gone over them for all those years. So they take up these stones, literal stones from the bottom of the Jordan, and he says, I want them to be memorial stones to remind us of the stories of God's favor, that God helped us in our time of need, that God's hand was on our personal lives. So when they made this pile of rocks in Gilgal, here's what it was meant to be. Anytime we wander around that area with our kids, we go hunting and fishing in that area with our kids. We go, hey, kids, let's go out to the river and go fishing. Oh, we walk past this. It's supposed to trigger the truth. You go, oh, hey, you know what that's there for? That is a reminder that God's hand and God's favor and God's help was with us. By the way, the pile of rocks means nothing if you don't know the story or tell the story. It's just a pile of rocks in the wilderness. I don't know. What is there? Right? I don't know. That's not how that was supposed to go at all. When you see those rocks, you're supposed to go, oh man, let me tell you what God did. The stories are important. I'm just trying to convince you this morning how important the stories are. The pile of rocks mean nothing without the God-inspired stories. And it's important that you tell God-inspired stories for the glory of God and the blessing of all generations. And that's what you're doing is you're setting up another generation to go, wow, there is a God. This is amazing. And you have stories. I bet everybody in this building, if I could just have 10 minutes with you in a room and ask you the right series of questions, I bet you could come out with some amazing God stories, like miracle stuff, some stuff that didn't even freak me out. I bet you do. I know Brother Jim has tons of stories of God working. I mean, he's been working in this mission for how many years, Brother Jim? 15 years. There's no way his life's not just filled with miracles, like hourly almost. You know, I mean, look at yourselves, really. He's helping care for all of you. And, you know, he doesn't have the resources for all that. God has to provide all that, right? Now, here's what I know about my church body, okay? We call ourselves a peculiar people because we are very peculiar. We're just a bunch of weirdos at our church, okay? But I'm telling you, I know the stories. I know a bunch of our stories. We're supposed to tell them to the glory of God. That's the whole deal. So let's look at the lion and bear story for just a minute. So I want you to hear the power of the story. And I'm going to expand on this next week and the week to come. It'll be up on our webpage for those of you that may not be able to be here. But, but I want to expand on it. I just want to introduce it today. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Here's the whole simple story. It's the story of David and Goliath. And David was a shepherd... Now get this, he was a shepherd and a musician, his job. And he was a little boy, he was little 13, 12, 11, somewhere in there. He was a little kid. He, and he's a shepherd and a musician. He's a really good shepherd, by the way. I mean like, like world-class shepherd, okay? And he's a really good musician. And he played for the king because the king had these migraine headaches. And so he'd go play for King Saul and calm him down in all his rage and rants. And then he'd go back to his farm with his dad and he'd watch his dad's sheep back and forth, back and forth. And at some point, the nation of Israel ended up on a battlefront with the Philistine army. 
By the way, that's the founders of ISIS. But the Philistine army and Israel were lined up on this battlefront, and in the valley between them, there's just this big dip and big valley. This giant from the Philistine army named Goliath, <clears throat> he would walk down into the middle of that valley and he would shout profanities. Nine foot tall, gigantic man. <clears throat> he would shout profanities at God, profanities at Israel, and he would make all kinds of threats to him. And then he'd say, hey, here's how we're going to do this, guys. Here's how the battle goes. You send your champion out. I'm our champion. You send your champion out. If he can whoop me, we will be your slaves. But if I whoop him, you're going to be our slaves. Now, I don't know how Goliath got the authority over Israel to dictate how the battle goes. Because I'm telling you, if I'd have been king, I'd have said, hey, I want my 35 best soldiers to go down there and just kill him. Surely 35 of them can take him. And then we'll take the rest of the army out. I mean, that's, I would have said, we don't have to follow his battle plan, do we? But apparently in that day, you followed whatever the big guy said. So the big guys dictated this. Here's the thing. <clears throat> Forty days in a row. Forty days in a row. Israel, the mighty army of almighty God. Israel has stood on the side of a hill, panicked. And they couldn't sing that song, No Fear, that y'all sang. No longer a slave to fear. Because they were slaves to fear that day. They were standing on a hillside, slaves to fear. And nobody would go face Goliath. Nobody. And the, the, they're camped there. So Jesse, David's father, says, Hey, son, I want you to <clears throat> get somebody to watch your sheep. I want you to take this grain and this cheese, bread and cheese. I want you to deliver it to the front lines. I call him pizza delivery boy. Okay? So David gets a little domino sign on his donkey, and off he goes to the front lines to give his brother... Bread and cheese. And he's gonna and he tell, he tells him give something to the command, give a bunch of cheese to the commanders too, because I want commanders to like me and my son so they don't put him on the front line and get him killed. Right? So Jesse's a very smart father. So he sends all that out. And on the way there, David gets there. Now when he gets there, he's a boy. He's a little boy going to the war. It's gotta be cool to be around all the clanging, you know, all the all the metal and the leather and all the cool stuff with the army and all that, you know. He just gets to ride right up in there and deliver all that stuff. And, he, and all these younger guys are talking to him and telling him what's happening. He's like, hey, what's going on? Oh, there's this giant. You wouldn't believe how big he is. Man, he's terrifying. He's telling all these stories. And, and, uh, and David goes, well, why don't, why don't somebody go kill him? And, and all the guys go, well, I don't, I'm big, man. But I'll tell you what will happen. And so they tell David, if somebody would kill him, the king has said he'll give you like a fortune. And then the king has also said, you could even marry his daughter. He's going to give you his daughter's hand in marriage if you'll just go out there. So the king, King Saul, has been bribing the mighty army of Israel to fight this fight. Isn't that crazy? The mighty army of Israel. The army that God has established was living in fear and the king is trying to bribe them. What a mess. And then Pizza Delivery Boy shows up. He's a shepherd and a musician. Boy, he's handy. We need him. Sure enough, he just shows up and he starts mumbling that he, I, I'll fight him. I don't mind. I'll go. Probably a little boy voice. I'll go. I don't mind. Yeah. And the guys are like, you're nuts. But no, really. Who, who is this Philistine that he would defy the army of Israel? David can't figure it out in his head. He's like, he's, David hears him swearing to God. He's like, hey, he can't say those words about our God. What's wrong with you people? Well, his brothers... Tell him, David, sh shut up and go home, man. And, and his brothers actually mock him. They say, 
what about those few sheep you have back home? Shouldn't you go care for those few sheep? Because you're just a shepherd, you know? Why don't you just go play your thing, your harp to the sheep? I mean, come on. They mock him. So let me just read you. <clears throat> David, and David actually says, I'll go. And somebody goes and tells Saul, hey, there's a little boy. You got to know that's funny. Hey, the Domino's guy wants to go fight the giant. Like, the who? Yeah, there's a guy, there's a kid here. You know, he's a brother, he's got his brothers are in the army. So there's a, there's a kid here that wants to go fight the giant. Well, that's nuts. That's really nuts. <clears throat> so David says to Saul when he gets into the king's tent, let no one lose heart. Verse 32. On account of this Philistine, your servant will go and fight. I'll go. Saul says, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy. He's been fighting as a man. He's been fighting as a man from his youth. David, he's got socks older than you are, son. There's no way you're going to beat him. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Story time. Saul, it's story time. Listen to this. Your servant's been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, David said, I went after it and I struck it. And I rescued the sheep from its mouth. Good gracious, what a shepherd. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. Little boy. Standing there going, man, you don't mess with my sheep. Sorry, you just don't. That's my, they're my sheep. You don't mess with my sheep. By the way, if I'd have been that shepherd, I'd have been like, so there's a hundred sheep and he took one. Eh, these will breed. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. You can have it. Big old lion out there. I'm like, I ain't messing with a lion. And David's not like that. He's like, no. He says, I went after and I struck it. I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because why? He's defied the armies of the living God. David ties it to God all of a sudden. He goes, this is not about anything but God. The Lord, verse 37, if you underline things in your Bible, here it is. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you, boy. He set him free. Why did he set him free to go do it? What set him free? His stories. His stories. He had to tell the king, the authority, his stories. The stories weren't about David, though. They were about God. And that's when he said, will the Lord go with you? And he sent him out. You see why I want us to learn to tell lion and bear stories? It's very important that we tell lion and bear stories to one another. We've got to tell people what God's doing in our lives so they can hear God is real. God is alive. And by the way, so we can conquer bigger giants in the land. We can literally, this is given away next week, we can literally set nations free if we're telling enough of our stories. That's what David did. He set the nation free. Forty days, the nation was captive. Day 41, pizza delivery boy shows up and goes, not today. We ain't going to let that guy do that no more. Little kid told his stories, got the authority to go face the giant and set a nation free. Now, that's awesome. You agree? That's just absolutely awesome. So we're blessed this morning to have some testimonies with us. And so I'm going to ask them to come up. There's a couple uh, from the mission that's going to come and share their testimonies. Let me. Brandon, do you have your mic or no? Here we, here we go. 
And they're gonna, this is the examples of the lion and bear stories. I told them it doesn't matter which one's the lion and which one's the bear. So, But I know they have some stories, so I'm going to let them share with you. Haven Hope. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. I'm not giving the devil any glory at all, but I want to show y'all where I came from and where I'm at now. Um, I come from a loving family. I mean, we were all very close. Um, I never wanted for anything. I mean, I was probably spoiled rotten, but. Um, I had a very, my family was structured, strict, but now that I look back, I needed that structure. Um, I didn't start using until I was about 21, 22. Um, That's when I moved out of the house, and that's when I just went crazy. I started experimenting with drugs. Um, You know, I had a good job, place to live on my own and everything. That's when I started with meth. I was a functional meth addict, if you know, possible, but, you know, I went to work, did everything I had to. Um, that's when, when I got introduced to pain pills, that was my downfall. That's where I started to lose everything. Um, I lost the respect of my parents. Um, you know, I started pawning things, everything, my um, high school ring. Um, I pawned it for $20, so I don't have that anymore. Um, so one day my parents came up to me because I was living in sheds and everything else. Um, they asked me if I go to rehab that, you know, I could move back in with them. And I said yes, but I wasn't ready. So I went to a secular rehab for 28 days, and um, when I got back, I relapsed, like maybe a week or two after. Um that's when I got pregnant with my little boy. He's 11 now. Um, I lost all custody of him. You know, I've been clean for um, six and a half years, and I still can't see him. Um, my parents got him when he was four months old. Um, that's when I started doing methadone. Um, and then... After I started doing methadone, I came here to Mobile and started. I went to the methadone clinic. Um, that's when I got pregnant with my second child. He was born in 2007. Um, my parents stopped all communication with me. Um, they didn't talk to me at all. My mom, my sister, my dad. Um, the morning of November 1st, 2008, um, it was around 4 o'clock, I woke up, it's over, and my little boy wasn't breathing, so we called the ambulance and they rushed into the hospital. And um, they pronounced him dead. He was he passed away at 13 months. I didn't want to feel anything. Who wants to feel anything when you lose a child? So it just started getting worse. 
um, I started shooting up pain pills, bilmethanone. Um, I started cutting myself. Um, I was doing so much stuff that I would seize out. Um, one night I prayed to God that I just told him I couldn't do it anymore. And you always got to watch what you pray for because I stopped. I mean, he he put me in jail. Um, the next day I got arrested. Um, and I spent 14 months in jail. The charge that they charged me with, I was looking to 20 to life. Um, but God can change all that. Second Timothy, Timothy 4.17, but the Lord stood with me and gave me strength. Um, like I said, I sat there 14 months. Um, like I said, you know, 20 to life. They gave me five years probation, time served. So that's what God can do. But even though I got out, I started using again as soon as I got out. And I started shooting meth up. And um, that's when I said I couldn't do this anymore. I wanted to get help. I wanted to get clean. I couldn't, I didn't want this life anymore. Um, that's when I came to the Haven of Hope in 2010. Um, I graduated in 2011. There I stayed, extended stay. Um, God released me from my bondage. Um, my, one thing was Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all you who are weary and get carry heaven burdens. I will give you rest. Um, I found myself in a deep depression. I mean, I didn't have anybody. Um, that's when my God gave me my parents back. Even after, well, let me back up. Um, I didn't start talking to my parents until I think 2012. But um, God can give you family that's not blood family. Um, that's when God gave me Eric and his beautiful family. His parents loved me for who I was. They knew everything about me. And they still love me. His mom just had so much faith and love for me. It was amazing. Um, that's Like I said, that's when my parents started talking to me, and they came to me and told me, because the devil was just working on me and everything, and, you know, so I told my, my mom and dad that I was so sorry, and she looked at me and said, it's okay, stop saying you're sorry. I know that you've changed. Don't worry about it. Because I've, I've always told people when I went to the Haven that my parents were with me. Um, came up to me and said, hey, your parents are going to come in your life. I would have said, uh-uh. But that's what God can do. He can change anything. Any ruined relationship, he can change that. Um, till this day, I mean, we have such a close relationship. They trust us. If if we need anything, they're they're there for us. It's like never happened. Um, I became the house mom, 
And then me and Eric got, got married and I became the um, program manager, um, I guess the intake coordinator. <laughs> um, I'm just I'm just amazed what God what God can do. I mean, you can see what I was and now look what God has done. I mean, I never thought I could be happy again after, you know, losing a child. But that is possible. God can give you so much happiness. You just got to allow him. It can happen. You know, um like I said, you know, it's not great every day. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have um troubles and everything, but you have to lean on God. Don't lean on drugs. Like when one thing bad happens, don't don't do that. Go to him and he can make everything better. Um my life scripture is Isaiah forty, twenty third to thirty one. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on, wiggles, on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. As uh, my wife said, my name's Eric. This is we're Eric and Angela Roberts. Um, as Angela said, I'm not giving my testimony to give anything to Satan, but I'm trying to give him a black eye. I want everybody to know that everything that's happened in mine and her life is because of what God did, what Jesus did on the cross, and I want to share that. Y'all know the story, Luke 15, of the prodigal son. I am the prodigal son. I was raised by good Christian parents who made sure I went to church, who made sure I did what was right. And at that time in my life, I never really had a real relationship with Christ. I never really had the... I went to church, and I was a good guy, and I thought that that was what was going to get me to heaven. But you know what, guys? Without a real relationship, guys and girls, I'm talking to y'all right now, without a real relationship with Christ, it was a false thing for me in my life. Um, Thank you, Lord, for putting me here today. Um... Like I said, raising church. When I turned 18, I turned my back on God. I shot out that church at 18 because my parents couldn't make me go any anymore. Started going to the bars and the clubs, got a fake ID, made sure, you know, that way, even before I was 21, I was still drinking and things like that. And then later down the road, it turned into more hard, anything from pills to cocaine to ecstasy to to meth. And then when, when I started doing meth, it really went downhill then. I dealt with a 10-year meth addiction where I lost anything and everything in my life. I couldn't hold down a job. I couldn't, you know, really couldn't be a friend. I couldn't be a son. I couldn't be the uncle, the cousin that I was. God had put me there to be because my whole life was meth. I had made meth my God. Um, 2009, I remember looking at myself in a mirror at a friend of mine's house. I just took a shower and, you know, you look at yourself in your mirror and I'm pretty sure some of these guys or girls can attest to this. You look at yourself and you don't even recognize who you're looking at. You know, you look at it and you're just like, wow, who is that? And I remember sitting there thinking, because at that time in my life, all my life was was doing meth, making meth, selling meth, and that was it. I might sleep a day a week at the most. Um, 
But I remember looking at myself in the mirror and I remember thinking, sitting there thinking I hadn't prayed in, I couldn't tell you how long, 10, 15 years. And I remember thinking, God, something's got to change. God, something really got to change in my life. I'm going to be dead. Well, as Angela said, sometimes you got to be careful what you pray for because God heard my prayer. God made something happen in my life. I won't get into too much details, but I ended up the next morning, woke up in the hospital, and I remember thinking, okay, well, not thinking. When I come to, when I, when I woke up in the hospital, I was surrounded by family and friends, and I remember my cousin was standing there holding my hand. He asked me, what are you doing? Do you realize what you're doing to your family? You realize what you're doing to your mom and dad. And I knew then that God had made a way. God had made a change. God had taken, trying to get me off that path. And I'm going to tell you to this day, I still believe with everything in my heart that God was telling me, you take this or I feel like I'm going to be done with you. I, I, and and that's, I still feel very strongly about that in my, my heart. Well, it, it took a couple of weeks, but I ended up coming to the Mission of Hope. Um, like I said, started this the the the, uh, the accident happened in mid November beginning of December I was I was there I was actually I told uh, when I came in and talked to at the time brother Danny I told him I don't care if I got to sleep on the floor in the yard I knew I needed help I knew this was where I needed to be and uh, I slept on the couch for the first few days so um, but I praise God now that that's what it that's what it took to put me in the hospital is what it took for me to open my eyes. You know, guys and girls, there's sometimes when we pray for something that God might not do it the way we want it to happen. Or God might not do things in our life to get you here. You guys, I, I speak to y'all more, and I, ladies too, I'm talking to y'all. You might be here in this program because your mom's making you come or your girlfriend or even court ordered by a judge or probation officer or something. But God made this time for you to be here. And I don't mean to preach. I'm sorry if I'm going too long, but God made this time for you to be here. Seize this time. Don't waste it. Utilize it. Get it as much word as you can right now. And you, and you know, Brother Jim asked me a couple weeks ago, or I think he asked a group of us, when did you come to yourself? And you know, in Luke 15, 17, it speaks that about the prodigal son, that he came to himself when he was down in the, in the, you know, feeding with the hogs, down with the pigs, eating the pig slop, you know, and I believe in that hospital bed is when I really came to myself. And um, I'm blessed now to be a part of a ministry. You know, that was uh, last weekend, made seven years ago that I graduated the Mission of Hope. And I just thank God for that every day. That And I don't say that to give me any glory. I say that to give him glory because it was only through him that, 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 I'm, that I'm here. It's only because of him. I am nothing without him, and I know that. You know, we sang that song. Y'all sung the song earlier, No Longer Slaves. You got, guys and girls, you, I, I am no longer a slave to fear, to addiction, to Satan, because I am now a child of God. I'm a child of the one true king, and you are too. If you... If you've prayed for Christ to come into your life, if you've prayed for forgiveness, guys, you are too. Remember that. Don't ever let Satan think that remind you of the stuff you've done in the past. Don't even worry about that. You are a new creature in Christ. That's what the Word says, right? Um, like I said, I'm blessed now to be a part of a ministry. Um, I've been uh, full-time back with the ministry now almost three years. Uh, after I graduated, I stayed and worked for the ministry for some time. 
uh, but I never really left. I might have not been on payroll, but I was always coming back, volunteering, doing stuff. When Angela was uh, pro, uh, house mom or whatever it was at the Taylor house, uh, I was there on the weekends helping volunteer, even anything from cutting grass or even some Sundays help do visitation. So, um, again, I'm thankful. You know, church, pray. I beg of you to pray for these men and women. Church, if you've got family members who are lost, never stop praying for them. You know, I believe it's my, I believe it's the prayers of my mom and dad and aunts and uncles and, and maybe even some of the people in this church who know me that have got me who has say, helped save me. You know, not that, not that save me, but helped kept me safe and got me to the where I am now. Not that I'm anything, I give it all to Him. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. Guys and girls, never stop praying. Let people think you're crazy because you're walking around just talking. They'll think you're talking to yourself. You know, but that that sustains me sometimes. Some of these guys will see me walking around the hill. I'll just be talking, you know. I want them to think I'm crazy because I'm talking to my Lord and Savior and I don't care what nobody thinks. So, um, again, thank y'all for letting us come today, church. Thank you, Pastor, for letting us come. And uh, God bless y'all. So Eric and Angela, or St. Caleb, come on up with me. And Eric and Angela are saying to you, um, see, there once was this lion, uh, and the lion's name was Meth. There once was this bear, and the bear's name was Meth, and it attacked me. But the Lord delivered me from that attack. You understand what they're saying? That's a testament. That's a lion and bear story. And it sets them free, and it gives them the privilege now of serving God and being used by God for other purposes, to, to serve in ministry. They're serving in ministry now, and, and they're conquering greater giants, and they're helping set people free. Exactly what little David did. Shepherd, a musician, and a pizza delivery guy. Right? Not a mighty warrior. You don't feel like a mighty warrior, but you have to have a story. You have to have a story. You know how you get a story? You have to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, Brother Eric, I have a sermon called um, The Theology, or, or called Pig Pen Theology. Because I really believe in pig pens. You can learn more about God than anywhere. I'm telling you, that's, that's where the prodigal got it. He's like, hey, I think I figured this out. <laughs> there's me and there's God. And I need to go back, right? And he, he figured out, forget a lot of theology was figured out in that pig pen. But I want to challenge you this morning. If you don't know for sure that Christ is your Lord and Savior, if you haven't taken that step from Deuteronomy 6 to say, Lord, I love you with all my heart, soul, and strength. It's not that you just know him. It's not that you know about him. It's not that you've heard stories about him or you've been to church or when you were a kid, you, you were told about him. I just want to know if you really trusted Christ, your Lord and Savior. While Caleb's playing just softly for a minute, we're going to sing a closing song in a minute for everybody. But while he's playing softly, I want to give you the opportunity. Trusted him. For anybody that's here today, any of our guests, any of our regular attenders, <clears throat> you're the oldest church member here, you're welcome to trust Christ, your Lord and Savior, if you're not sure. So would you bow your heads and just evaluate. Now's the moment for you to ask God, do I know you personally? Are we friends? Do I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? If you're assured of that and you have a peace, I mean, 
It's a peace like no other peace that you and God are friends. You and God are personal. And He loves you and you love Him. If you're assured of that, you just rest in it. And you celebrate and you pray that the Lord would open anybody else's eyes. If your eyes today spiritually needed to be opened and you've heard some things that have challenged you, I'm going to invite you, if you've never asked Christ or if you're just not sure, would you just pray a simple prayer of faith today and ask Christ to come into your heart and save you from your sins. You can just pray these words quietly unto the Lord, sincerely but quietly, and He'll say to you, just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I need help, and I need you. I can't save myself because I'm a sinner, and I'm filled with problems and trials, but you left heaven to die on a cross to pay for my sins, and I trust that the work of the cross covers all my sins for all time. And I ask you to come into my life now and fill me up with your presence and help me follow you all the days of my life. Forgive me of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen.